Chapter Nine of My Flirtations by Ella Hepworth Dixon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nine. It was at the Royal Academy at the private view that I first saw Mr. Albert Morris. Outside, the bright spring sunshine bathed Piccadilly with its unaccustomed warmth, gilding the tiny crinkled leaves in the green park, making blue shadows under the crowded omnibuses, and illuminating the clinking harness of the horses which passed in a continual procession into the courtyard of Burlington House. Inside, up the wide staircase with its crimson carpets and its banks of flowers and plants, all London was elbowing its way to the crowded galleries people who had intrigued successfully for a ticket wore a triumphant satisfied smile the critics were preparing their most stolid yet important air women journalists felt for their pencils and notebooks eagerly demanding the names of overdressed ladies and the painters the royal academicians and the few famous outsiders who are invited to the private view collected in little knots round some much-discussed canvas or plucking each other by the sleeve hurried through the rooms in search of some striking picture by an unknown brush but mr morris hurried neither here nor there for he was a person of importance he stood in the middle of the big room casting cursory glances at the pictures on the walls and shaking hands with a small procession of people who passed incessantly in front of him with fashionable ladies who stopped to give him several fingers and then passed on with a well-turned phrase and a non-committing smile with journalists judges actors and cabinet ministers we came upon him suddenly father and i and when i had been introduced he seemed all at once to have a great deal to say mr albert morris was about fifty years old and had a humorous eye he was rather fat and rather red and i think his hair and moustache were very carefully dyed he was absurdly rich one of the big weekly papers belonged to him and he owned a good many shares in the opera mr morris also bought pictures and was invited nearly every year to the royal academy banquet everything he touched turned to gold he had the true instinct of his race for money albert morris made fabulous sums out of the most unlikely things and they say that he was once seen driving through the city in a four-wheel cab piled to the ceiling with argentine bonds he never went farther away from town than brighton in order to be always within an hour of the stock exchange but with all his money and his influence he was the simplest of men and had only two strongly developed tastes a liking for a good story and a pretty woman his house in piccadilly was it is true a little over gorgeous but then he had left the furnishing and decorating to a well-known firm who had somewhat overdone the louis sixteenth period nobody however including the owner seemed to think there were too many carved gilt legs and florid brocades and in the celebrated white dining-room with its panels by chaplin mr albert morris used to give little suppers to royalty he was a self-made man and he believed in money he had bought everything his position his influence his friends his newspaper his house his pictures his books and curios the love of women and the devotion of his servants there was only one thing he dreaded and that was a thing from which his millions could not save him he was horribly afraid of death possible accidents or illnesses were a constant anxiety to mr morris he was childishly frightened of infectious diseases he never went to bed without a ladder outside his window in case of fire and he never sat behind or on a strange horse if his little finger ached or he caught a cold in the head he consulted the greatest physicians in london 
and he always carried a tiny golden flask containing brandy for some one had once told him he had a weak heart poor mr morris quaking in the midst of his millions they found him one morning but i am anticipating though of thoroughly jewish origin it was astonishing how british and patriotic was my new friend mr morris his newspaper was conservative and highly orthodox and in time of war scares there was an uncompromising jingoism in its leaders they were inspired by the proprietor the church the state the house of lords who knows if the estimable little man may not have cherished hopes of a peerage himself were the things that mr morris believed in in religion he did not tolerate broad church nor in politics any dallying with democrats but these things after all were but a pastime the opera especially during the last year or two was the serious preoccupation of his life charming little girl of yours winman i overheard him whisper to father as we were moving on might bring her one night to the opera now always the same box you know pit tier number one hundred say thursday and without waiting for an answer for he was evidently accustomed to having his wishes acceded to mr morris slipped away and was presently in deep confabulation with the leader of the opposition on the following thursday we found ourselves in mr morris's opera box it was a brilliant night all the beauties with all their tiaras on were ranged in dazzling groups round the house two famous sisters one married to a marquis and the other on the way to espouse a german princeling were dressed exactly alike and exhibited precisely the same pensive smile and the same drooping bouquet they were however to-night entirely alone filling the large box with their pink sleeves and their radiant beauty just above them lady susan received a procession of smart young men all the evening one after the other the smart young men were convulsed with laughter you could see their stolid faces getting pink and crinkled as they bent forward to catch what the lady said in the next box a well-got-up mother and a pretty badly dressed girl shared the same cavalier between them it was impossible to tell which he admired the least an elderly lady in pale blue satin and black pearls exhibited a young and sheepish-looking husband mr valentine redmond was supposed to be occupying a stall but his little smirk and his huge white buttonhole appeared in every box on the grand tier that night a number of cultured people in the stalls had opened books of the score on their knees and never raised their heads to the stage all the evening they were playing tristan and isolde mr albert morris swept with his glasses the crimson horseshoe on which the white shoulders and clear dresses of the women made spots and dots of light and settled himself in his chair with a small grunt of approval he felt in a way responsible for that brilliant house he was one of the people who had revived the moribund opera and had made it once more the most fashionable lounge in london true he distrusted wagner and all his works but he knew there was money in him for a season he was more proud of his sway behind the scenes than of any other influence he possessed he prided himself on discovering budding patties and melbas on unearthing unknown tenors and discovering baritones of genius the potains of the green room the little quarrels behind the scenes were i verily believe the joy of his existence he had always a good story to tell about the stars of the company to spring a new prima donna on the town was the height of his ambition one liked mr albert morris at once he was immensely comic and had a slow fat drawling voice which made his stories irresistible he was also delightfully candid 
like all the men of his race he was easily touched by music and when the famous soprano in white satin with her hair down her back gave forth an operatic lament i noticed a large tear coursing its way down mr albert morris's rubicund cheek and immaculate shirt-front ah these things make me feel miss winman he whispered but then you see i'm a wicked old sinner it's only you charming young ladies who are so hard it was impossible not to laugh especially when mr morris put on a gold pince-nez and holding the book of words a long way off tried to find out what the story was what's it all about now don't understand german oh here we are act one they tremble and convulsively put their hands to their hearts then again press them to their foreheads their eyes meet anew sink in confusion and once more fasten on each other with looks of increasing passion hum isolde sinking on his breast faithlessly fondest tristan pressing her to him with fire deathlessly dearest ah very unfortunate now as she's going to marry the other johnny never have any luck these poor little heroines beautiful high sea that she's in great form to-night but later on mr morris was again bewildered by the language of the libretto which he insisted on reading aloud o oh, highest holest fairest fiercest brimming jest bliss priceless peerless fixed and fearless blind and breathless now i call that exaggerated don't you know did you ever talk to mrs winman like that now winman nobody ever says that sort of thing to me but in spite of mr morris's objections to the wagnerian methods our evening at the opera ended amiably all round before we separated that night he had given father a commission for a big canvas samson and delilah was to be the subject of the picture for mr morris had a taste for the good old themes and yet when the picture was half finished he began to see that it was rather out of date for a modern house should you like to put miss peggy in now said mr morris one day as we all three sat criticizing the huge canvas nort suitable for delilah eh it was one of his peculiarities that he pronounced not and got like nort and gort want a more robust model nort at all just the sort of little girl like miss peggy but father was inexorable i had sat to him as a bacchante as a village maiden and as a nun but for delilah he would have none of me mr morris was obviously disappointed he used to be always dropping in to see how samson and delilah was getting on and he not infrequently stayed to lunch charmin hashed mutton just what i like anything does for me gored a passion for baked potatoes dear declared mr morris who feasted like lucullus at home it was another of his peculiarities by the by that he usually addressed the whole female sex as dear mr morris chaffed everybody from the editor of his paper to the cabman who drove him to the city he even chaffed christina on one celebrated occasion when christina had turned vegetarian she sat eating nothing but watercress lettuce and endive all through lunch my heavens said mr morris at last adjusting his eyeglass and regarding christina placidly munching a third plate of raw green stuff is this a beautiful woman or a ruminate an animal
from that day forward christina ate fish meat and fowl like the rest of the family samson and delilah was finished at last and to celebrate the hanging of the picture there was to be a little supper in the white dining-room in piccadilly at which a royal personage was expected to be present but mr morris was not to eat his supper with royalty in piccadilly that night on the morning of the party a foggy november day mr morris's valet drove up to our door in a hansom his white twitching face told us the worst albert morris was dead and so after all his millions had not been able to save him from what he dreaded a sudden and a comparatively early death the servant's scared face was painful to see he had been genuinely attached to mr morris and he had entered his room that morning with tea and letters to find the electric light still burning and the figure of his master propped up in bed with a book in the hand that had been cold for many hours it was a french book the valet said far comme la mort he thought the name was albert morris had drawn his last breath while reading his favourite author and that was the end one had a choky feeling in the throat when one thought of it of course in stories and plays it is only the death of the young the handsome and the virtuous which is meant to rouse our deepest pity yet in real life it is often the figure of an albert morris stout genial worldly rolling in wealth and terrified at death which most readily claims our tears of the earth earthy we can only picture them in their clubs or at our dinner-tables in the grand drama of death it seems impossible that they should ever take a part they the heroes of half a dozen farces the authors of half a hundred mots chapter nine